morning, Matthew chapter number 11. Now, as you turn there, there's some verses I want to read out of chapter 5 to you. We're not going to be preaching on those verses in chapter 5, but I want them to give us some context. And so as you find your place there in Matthew chapter 11, let me read some of these verses that will be very, very familiar to you. Matthew 5, 1 says, And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now, you're in Matthew chapter number 11, and I want to begin reading in verse number 1 and read down to verse number 6. What we've just read is commonly known as the Beatitudes. Most of us are quite familiar with the, this ensemble of verses. We've seen it on uh, pillows and quilts. We've seen it on hangings on the wall. Uh, we've seen it in placards and uh, pictures and things of that sort. And we're quite familiar with uh, the Beatitudes. I would say that there's probably not much more beautiful a portion of Scripture than the Beatitudes. And it is a beacon of hope and encouragement. But I want to read to you in these passages in Matthew chapter number 11 something I think that is often neglected. Now listen to what it says in verse number 1. And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding His twelve disciples, He departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do in here. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached unto them. Now notice verse 6. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Let's read that once more. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Let's pray together this evening. Heavenly Father, I'd ask that You'd bless Your Word tonight, that You'd speak to hearts that which would bring You the most glory and the most honor. Father, I pray that each and every person here would be affected through the power of Your Word. Lord, if there's one amongst us that's in need of Calvary, show them that need, that they might be saved before it's everlasting too late. God, help us all to draw closer to You. Lord, we don't deserve Your attention. We don't deserve Calvary. We don't deserve the Holy Spirit. We don't deserve the Word of God. But can I just testify tonight, Lord, in front of these people and in front of Your throne, that Your grace is good and it's because of Your grace that we have all these things. And I just want to thank You, Lord. Help me to thank You not just with my lips, but with my life and with my love for You. Father, help us tonight. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. 
Some of you are familiar with the name Vance Havner. Me and Brother Britton have talked about Brother Vance Havner quite often. And if I'm not mistaken, you were saved in a Vance Havner meeting uh, just a few years ago. Ain't that right, Brother Britton? Just a few years ago. But Vance Havner, in talking about this portion of Scripture, used to call this the forgotten beatitude. Most of us are familiar with all of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter number 5, and yet here in chapter number 11, at a very, very key time in the life of John the Baptist, our Lord again employs this language that He had used before in speaking about a blessing upon those that are in a certain circumstance. But the blessing in this passage is not necessarily for peacemakers and those that hunger and thirst after righteousness and the poor uh, in spirit and uh, the meek, but the quality or uh, category of people that are spoken of in this passage is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. Now, you might say, well, preacher, what does it mean when he says offended in me? Is he saying those that are not offended for the cause of Christ? No, because he's already said that we're blessed when we are offended for the cause of Christ. When men revile and persecute us, when they speak ill of us, because we are so Christ-like, the Lord says, hey, that's a blessing to me, and I'll bless you for it. Is it saying those who offend the Lord? Well, I don't think it's speaking about those uh, who offend the Lord. Because in this passage, let's be honest now, blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. I don't know of a single one of us that hadn't offended the Lord at some point. Amen? Every single one of us. Hey, just being born a sinner into this world is enough uh, that it offends a holy God. Aren't you thankful for Calvary that there was a price paid for our sin? Aren't you thankful that when we had offended a holy God that there was a mediator and there was a daysman and there was an intercessor and there was a Savior to take our part and to pay our price? So we've all offended Him. I don't believe that's what He's speaking about. Uh, Mr. Havner, in, in speaking about this passage used to say this, and it's always stuck with me, that what our Lord is saying in this passage, if He could put it in modern language, or in language that we'd be familiar with, would be this, Blessed is He whosoever does not get upset about the way that I run my business. You see, what our Lord is saying here is, John, if you'll just learn to trust me in your circumstances there is a particular blessing upon your life. Now, tonight I want to say that I wish I always had God figured out, but I don't always have God figured out. I'll never always have God figured out. God's always going to be God, and I'm never going to be Him. Amen? If I had a God that I could understand, He wouldn't be much of a God. And I think there is a tendency for logic to masquerade as faith in this day that we live in. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Well, you'll hear people say all the time, well, I just can't figure God out. I don't believe in anything that I can't understand. Well, if you don't believe in anything that you can't understand, then what you're doing when you believe in something you can't understand is that's not belief, that's just logic. Amen? Faith is a matter of of trusting in something that you can't understand. Something that necessarily all the dots in your mind don't always connect, but you know uh, that you can put confidence in that thing. Can I say that just because we don't understand God, that doesn't make Him any less God than than He is. He's God whether we can grasp Him or not. He's God whether we can figure Him out or not. He's still God no matter what. And we need to learn to trust Him even in these situations. I want to say a very quick word about John's period of discouragement 
that he's going through in this passage. I'm not going to take the time. It's about 20 verses in Luke chapter 3 that you could read about uh, the situation that John is in. Uh, But do you know, and and by the way, it's also found, I believe, in the book of uh, Matthew, speaking about the persecution that he's facing. But John was appointed to be the forerunner of our Lord and Savior. He was appointed to be the one that would go forth. I mean, John was the voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord and prepare ye uh, the way before Him. He was the one that was to come preaching in the name of the Lamb of God that was slain from the foundation of the world. John was a man sent from God on a mission. He had purpose in his life. If you had looked at John the Baptist, you would have expected big things out of his life. You would have expected him uh, to die robed in glory and in honor. Let me tell you how it was that John died. Uh, The Bible teaches uh, that Herod at the time uh, sought to uh, have for his wife, his uh, brother Philip's wife. And so he takes and he kills Philip and he takes Philip's wife, Herodias, to be his wife. And John, being a man of God, he stood up and he protested and he said, Herod, you're wrong for what you're doing. And, And he was wrong for what he did. And so when he does this, Herod decides that he's going to have to get rid of John. So he takes John and he puts him in prison. We could talk about the entire story of how that a, a party was made and uh, how that uh, Herodias uh, asked for the head of John the Baptist. And the Bible teaches very clearly that she had a hatred of John the Baptist. She was mad over the uh, plan that they had fatched, uh, that they had hatched over her husband Philip. It had never set well with her uh, that this man had stood up and told them that they were wrong. And she had a hatred and a spite towards John the Baptist. And uh, so uh, Philip th- or Herod throws a big party, and uh, he wants for Herodias' daughter to come in and dance before them. And so uh, Herodias goes to the daughter and says that Herod has promised you anything that you would like if you'll go in and dance at this party and display your beauty before these people. And so Herodias goes to her daughter and says, I'll tell you what you do. You go in, you dance. And when it comes time to ask, what is it that you want in return? Tell them you want the head of John the Baptist on a charger. Tell them you want the man of God dead. Tell them you want the preacher to be done away with. Tell them that you're tired of him telling this kingdom and this people what to do, and you want him dead. And so the daughter says, okay, I'll do that. So he goes in, she goes in, and she dances before the party, and the party's over. And uh, she asks for the head of uh, John the Baptist, and because Herod had promised it, Herod says, okay, that's what I'll get for you. And so he puts John in prison, and John is awaiting execution. John was a man of God that was greatly persecuted because of the stand which he had took against the king and against the then queen. Now, you would think with John the Baptist, like I said, you expect him to be uh, robed in glory when he dies. You expect him, I I mean, you'd almost think with John the Baptist, surely the Lord would do him uh, like he did Enoch and like he did Elijah. He'd just take him, pick him up out of this world. He'd never have to suffer through death. And John the Baptist, uh, you know what our Lord said about John the Baptist? said, never was there a greater born among women than John the Baptist. You know what he's saying? He's saying there's never been anybody that has the character and the quality and the consecration that John the Baptist had. But here John is at the end of his life facing a chopping block. Could I put it in a way that I think we can all identify with? Things didn't work out like John expected they would. They didn't work out like he was planning. You know, I, I almost, 
it sounds bad, but I think you understand what I mean. I almost get scared when things do start working out like I'm planning them, amen? Uh, or, you know, what was it that the old poet said, that men make plans and God sits back and laughs? We all have plans. We all have things we'd love to see happen and things we would love to do. We all have, you know, I'm, I'm a young man, and, and being a young man, you do a lot of planning and ideas. We were talking just for service. Me and Charlie and Linda were talking about we're wanting to put our house on the market and sell and buy a different house. And, uh, you know, it's time for us to do that, or I believe it is anyway. And we've got plans and things that we'd like to do in our lives. But could I say to you that God is God even when our plans don't work out like we're expecting? John didn't expect this. John, listen now, John didn't sign on for this. And there John sits in a prison cell awaiting execution. And he falls into a place of discouragement. We see not only his persecuted uh, situation, but we see his momentary depression. He's there in the midst of this and he begins to doubt everything that he thought he knew. That's what you see in the passage. He was the one that had said, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. But now, John's saying, aren't thou he that should come, or should we look for another? I always, you know, we sing the song, uh, you know, we should never be discouraged. And I understand the sentiment behind that. Can I say, I'm thankful we've got a God that can lift up our head when it hangs low. That's what the psalmist said, that when his head hung down, that the Lord is the lifter up of his head. And I'm thankful for that. But can I say that it's easy to say we should never be discouraged, but that, that may just be coming from someone that's in a good situation. I've been discouraged before. You ever been discouraged? You ever had things not work out like you planned? That's where John's at, and he's suffering with a personal depression. It seems as though most people that uh, are employ themselves, and I don't mean in the sense of uh, secular employment or financial employment, but people that make it their life's mission and work to serve God are usually face-to-face many times with this notion of discouragement and depression. I was talking to my wife this morning about that very thought, you know, about how so many preachers battle with it and people in ministry. And I told her, I said, you know, I I think I figured that thing out. That's just the battle that's going on. Now, listen, I don't know if you'll get this or not. I hope that you will. But listen carefully to what I'm saying. There is a spiritual warfare taking place. There is a battle taking place. And if we're not careful, we'll run out into the battle thinking it's a playground. There is a warfare taking place. And if you don't believe it, you just live a week and try to walk by the Spirit instead of by the flesh. And you'll see there's a warfare going on. I'm not, listen, I'm not talking about what Congress passes. I'm not talking about uh, gay marriage. I'm not talking, by the way, that's sodomite marriage is what that is. I'm not talking about sodomite marriage. I'm, I'm not talking about, uh, about fiscal, but I'm talking about a spiritual warfare that wages in the souls of those that know Jesus Christ. There's a battle taking place. And sometimes we don't feel like we're in the battle. You know, it don't seem like much of a battle when you're going the same direction the enemy is. But when you quit retreating and you plant your feet and say, no, I'm not giving up any more ground. I'm going to do something for Jesus Christ. You'll find a battle on your hand. The enemy's going to keep coming. It's just a question of what you're going to do. This is where John's at. John, I believe it's more than just a dark and damp prison cell. I think it's more than just the prospect of dying on a chopping block. John is questioning everything that he's ever known. And notice this probing question. He says, Art thou he that should come, or should we seek, should we look 
for another. John is beginning to question everything he knew about who the Son of God was. And let me tell you something. And man, I love the Word of God. Let me just say that again. I love the Word of God. I'm thankful it's a book that is relevant and practical. I, I, I mean, these people that say, well, it's just so out of the times. Well, you know, hey, maybe you're not in the Spirit enough to see that it's not out of the times. If you read the Word of God, it'll speak to your heart. And when I read this passage, let me tell you something. I see me in this passage. Do you know why? Because even though I might not say it in that way, even though I might not look up towards heaven and say, well, God, I just don't know you anymore, the second that troubles come, we start questioning the things we know to be true about God. We know that He's faithful. Isn't that right? We know that He's faithful. We know He's good. We know that He helps us. We know that He strengthens us. We know He'll never leave us nor forsake us. We know that He tends to His business and that He sees to His flock and that He does these things. We know that. But then in the midst of this darkness, all of a sudden, our perception becomes a little fuzzy. And we start to wonder about all those things that we know about God. That's what John's doing. I mean, John, listen, John said, there's one walking amongst us. He said, I'm not worthy to tie his shoes. I mean, the one that's walking before us, he was before I was. He was before Abraham was. He's the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He's the one that the Holy Spirit in the likeness of a dove rested upon. You say, well, why is the Holy Spirit pictured in a dove in that path? Can I tell you something? You know that that dove left the ark and never did come back? You say, wonder where he's going. You see, he was looking for a pure place to land. He goes all through the Old Testament. He can't find a place pure enough. But there in Matthew chapter 3, as he swoops down from the heaven, he says, I believe I found the head of a man that's never known sin. I believe I found the Son of God. And he just latched down on top of him. He found the one. <laughs> he found the one. This is the Son of God. John knows it. John knows it. But he just needs a little encouragement along the way. He knows it. He understands that God is still God. He just doesn't understand why his world is upside down all of a sudden. He understands that God is still God. He just don't understand why it ain't turned out like he was hoping. He begins to question the things that he once knew about the Son of God. We see John's period of discouragement, but we see Christ's patient dealing. Now, I, I'm going <laughs> to basically... This first point is I'm going to preach what the Lord didn't do. Is that all right? There's a lot of things that the Lord says, but listen carefully to what He doesn't do. The Lord doesn't rebuke John. Aren't you thankful I'm not God? That's what I thought. And those of you that don't, you just don't know me well enough. I know how I would have been if I had been the Lord. I would have looked at John and I would have said, You saw me. You saw me come walking out of a carpenter's home. You've seen blinded eyes open. You've seen these things. I, I, I would have probably looked at him and said, Hey, listen, when you was in your mother's womb, you leapt. You leapt at my name. Now all of a sudden, you don't trust me? That's how I would have been. I would have looked at him and said, You think I'm not the Son of God? You just wait. I'm going to be the one to die for the sins of the Lord. I would have rebuked him. But that's not how the Lord did that. The Lord doesn't look at John and say, John, what's the matter with you? Because the Lord knew what was the matter with John. Can I say to you tonight, you may, your world may be upside down. You don't understand it and you can't figure it out. Can I say to you that God's not angry at you? I, 
I think that needs to be said again because I think even though we may not shout the rafters down over that, I think a lot of us struggle with that. God's not angry at you over your discouragement. Now, I'm not saying there can't be times when we wallow in self-pity. I'm not saying there can't be times uh, when we choose to stay in depression uh, for the martyr's complex of it. I'm not saying that that can't be the case. But I'm saying this, just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're sinning. Just because you're having trouble understanding, that doesn't mean that God's angry at you. Christ didn't rebuke John. What did he do? We see he didn't rebuke John, but notice also he didn't repent of his love of John. It didn't change how the Savior felt about John, no matter how John felt about the Savior. Can I say to you tonight, I am so thankful that my salvation does not depend on how I feel about God. I mean, I put my faith in Jesus Christ as a 10-year-old boy, and He saved me. I didn't help Him save me. He saved me. I didn't do my part, and He did His part. He saved me. He did it all that day. And He did it all on Calvary. And I've had periods of doubt and discouragement, frustration, depression since then. But I'm thankful that it hasn't changed how God feels about me. I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't look at us and say, you know, you're not who I thought you were. It was a great day in my life when I came to understand that Christ loved me and saved me and knew every single sin I've ever committed, that I'm committing now, and that I'm ever capable of committing. It was a great day when I came to understand that at Calvary, He bought me lock, stock, barrel with eyes wide open. And there's nothing that I'm going to do that's going to surprise Him. That was a blessed day. Because it got me to understand that no matter what happens in my life, I may disappoint the Lord. I may I, Listen, I may have sin in my life that keeps me and the Lord from fellowshipping like we ought to, that keeps Him from blessing me. I may make a shipwreck of my life. I, I may get out here in the ditch. And I hope if I do, I hope that you don't follow your pastor that direction. But listen to me. No matter what I do, Christ is never going to quit loving me. He'll never quit loving me. He didn't rebuke John. He didn't repent of his love of John. What did he do? He reassured John of his work. He looked at him and listened. And this would be good for us to do sometimes. Look what he says. Jesus answered, verse 4, and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. In the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. You know what he did? He said, John, you may not feel like I'm working in your life like you hoped, but look at the way I'm working in others' lives through you. Let me say that again so it really soaks in. John, I may not be doing for you what you think I ought to be doing for you, but you'll never understand what I'm doing for others through what I'm doing in your life. He's saying, John, you may not be able to see it, but I'm working. You may not be able to see it, but there's purpose. You may not be able... It may be dark in that prison cell where you're at, but there's, there's a light shining in Naphtali, and the Gentiles are seeing it, and God's doing a work, John. You may not be able to see it from your prison cell. And isn't it interesting that he couldn't? They said, go and show John. John couldn't see it from where he was at. Sometimes we can't see what God's doing from where we're at. Can't understand what God's doing from where we're at. We can't, we can't comprehend what's going on. That doesn't mean God's been knocked off His throne. And the reassurance that He gives John, 
as he speaks about the work that he's doing. You know, a lot of times when we get down, when we get frustrated and discouraged, we have a tendency to look around and say, well, God's just not doing anything. Well, now, st- stop for a minute and take, take count of that. What you're really saying is God's not doing anything about the situation that I want Him to be doing something about. But you woke up this morning. You had food in your belly, and if you're like me, you probably had three or four other people's food in there too. Huh? You had health enough to be in the house of God today. You're in a country where you can hear the Word of God preached. The sweet Holy Ghost is indwelling you if you know Christ as your Savior. I'd say God's doing a lot today, wouldn't you? I'd say God's working today. See, what we really mean is we really mean He's not doing what I want Him to do. But we're not here for Him to do what we want Him to do. We're here for us to do what He wants us to do. That's what we're here for. That's why we're here, is to obey Him and to serve Him and to do things in His manner, in His time, in His way. And what the Lord says to John is, listen, John, I know it looks dark from your prison cell, but there's a light shining in Israel that's the light of the world. God's working, even though you can't see it. It would do us good to stop and take inventory of all the blessings God's put upon us sometimes. We all, and you say, well, preacher, you act like you never... I'm preaching this because I do get discouraged sometimes. That's why... I, listen, let me help you. Let me help you as a church. Understand that nine times out of ten, I'm preaching at me when I'm up here. I hope it hits you, but I'm preaching at me when I'm up here. I'm not preaching this because I think that you get discouraged. I know you do, just like I do. I'm preaching this because I get discouraged sometimes. And sometimes we feel like it's not working and nothing's happening. But really, at the end of the day, God's still on His throne and He's still working and He's still moving. We see in this passage, we see uh, John's uh, persecuted situation. We see uh, John's personal depression. We see his probing question, this period of discouragement he's going through. And we see Christ's patient dealing. He didn't rebuke John. He didn't repent of his love of John, but he reassured John of his work. But let me say a quick word about Christ's promised blessing. Blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. Blessed is the man that's willing to let me do things in my way and in my time. Blessed is the man who trusts me with my business. Why was there a blessing pronounced? Well, I I believe there's three reasons. I believe they're blessed, number one, because their faith is Godward. And you say, what do you mean, preacher, by Godward? I mean, their faith is not vested in their circumstances. Their faith is vested in their sovereign. Their faith is not vested in the outward. Their faith is vested in the upward. Their faith is not vested in what's going right. Their faith is vested in the man that sits on the right of the throne of God. That's what I'm saying. That's what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's interesting to me what the Hebrew writer is saying here. 
Because I think sometimes we tend to think when it says, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. We think sometimes, listen now, we think sometimes that those are standards that are put upon those that must seek God. But what the writer is actually naming are prerequisites that it would make no sense to seek God unless you believe these two things, that he exists and that there is benefit in seeking him, that he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The reason that the faith of the person who's not offended in Christ is so great and so large and so mighty is because they're willing to trust God even when they can't see the end of the road. Even when they... Listen, even when they can't see the next mile or the next half mile, quarter mile, tenth of a mile, the next few feet in front of them, they're willing to say, God, I trust you. Who is it we're really trusting in this thing? I think that a lot of the problems that we have come from the fact that we think we're trusting God, but a lot of times we're really trusting our situations. You say, how do you know if a man is trusting God or trusting his situations? You can tell that by the idols he puts up in his life. Let me give you a for instance. You know it takes money to live. I, I wish, Man, I, I wish. I'd love it if we was in one of them communities where everybody just traded chickens and eggs and stuff. I mean, that'd be great. But it does. It takes money to live. But let me ask you something. What are you depending on? Are you dependent on that job or are you dependent on the Lord? Now you say, whoa, wait a minute, preacher. How can I not depend on my job? It's not that you don't depend on your job at all, but what it is is this. You understand it's the Lord that gave it to you and the Lord that can take it away, and so you need to honor Him even in the working of that job. I, I mean, listen, I understand. God, It's God that puts food on my table. And you might say, well, preacher, that's different. You're in ministry, you know. I mean, uh, you know, you're paid being in ministry, so it, it feels that way and it seems... no. Uh, listen, even before I was ever in ministry, it was God that put food on my table. Even before I was ever pastor, it was God that put food on my table. And if there ever comes a day when I'm not pastor, it'll still have to be God that puts food on my table. It's Him that's providing. And I think sometimes we get the, the, the cart before the otter. I guess that's how it ought to be, shouldn't it? You don't, you don't want to be you know, running over the, the, the cart with the ox, do you, Brother Ron? But we get flip turned upside down sometimes on that. We think sometimes that because God give us this thing, that then He expects us to put our faith in that thing, and that that is by proxy trusting in God. No, we ought to be trusting in God day by day, because there will be a time when your circumstances won't be so good. Are you still going to trust God then? Their faith is Godward. But I would say not only their faith is Godward, I would say that their faith uh, is greater. You say, well, why do you believe that? Listen to what is said in the Word of God. John chapter 20 and verse 27 29. Now, this is, uh, this is the episode, if you want to call it that, or the story where Thomas has doubted our Lord, and our Lord appears to them in the upper room. Then saith he, our Lord, to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet have believed. Thomas, it's interesting. I, when you look at the old paintings, you know, during the Renaissance era, there was this revival of painting all of these biblical scenes. And uh, you'll see in all these passages, or all these paintings about this passage, you'll see Thomas reaching in to the wound on the side of our Lord and Savior, or touching his hands. But do you know that's not biblical? Thomas never did have to touch his hands or his side. 
Our Lord offered it to Thomas. But you know the truth, and I spoke this morning, I said that Thomas's life is a continual revelation of faith, and it is. Uh, Thomas learned the final and great lesson of faith that night in the upper room. And you know what he learned? He learned that I don't have to have proof to believe. Listen now, I don't have to have proof to believe. I'm not saying that the things of God are without evidence, because there's plenty of evidence. I'm not saying that the things of God are without logic, because God's not the author of confusion. But I'm merely saying this. One of two things has to rule in our life of two or three things. Are we going to, listen, is our faith going to be subservient to our intellect? Or is our intellect going to be subservient to our faith? You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? A lot of people say, well, I'll believe it when I see it. But the, Listen, the Bible says we walk not by sight, but by faith. That doesn't mean there's no logic in what we believe, but what it means is this. Even if there is no sight, I'm still willing to believe and willing to trust. We see that our Lord looks at Thomas and he says, Thomas, you've seen me and you believe because of it, and that's wonderful. But blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. I think sometimes we kind of get down in the mouth about uh, about the fact that that we didn't get to live and see our Lord. Or maybe you don't, but I do sometimes. I'll read through the Gospels and I'll think, man, I would have loved to have seen it. I mean, I would have loved to have seen him take that bread and just break it. I, I, I would have loved to see him, uh, you know, spit on the ground and make a little mud and put in that blind man's eyes and open it. I would have loved, I would love to have heard him as that blessed voice cried out, Lazarus, come forth. Oh, what a blessing that would have been. But do you know that we're blessed even greater than that? That's what the Bible teaches Blessed are those that have not seen and yet have believed. Because even though we have not seen those things, we still have the capacity. God's given to every man the measure of faith. We can all believe if we choose to. We all have the capacity. I'm not one of these that believes that God decided somewhere long ago in the eons that this side over here is going to die and go to hell, and this side over here is going to die and go to heaven. That's a bunch of hogwash. Amen? I believe in whosoever will, because that's what the Bible says, is whosoever will. I believe that any can be saved that will come to the Savior. I believe He'll not cast out any that come unto Him, because He told me that He would not cast out any that come unto Him. He's given to every man the measure of faith. We have the capacity to believe. And the Word of God produces faith in the the life of a person. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I'll tell you why that they're blessed. Those that in the darkness of their situations will look towards heaven, towards a light that doesn't seem to be shining, speak to a God that doesn't seem to be answering, and trust in Him whom they've not ever seen. That's a greater faith than those that have seen Him and do believe. Their faith is greater. But finally, I'd say because their faith is genuine. It's genuine. doesn't have to have anything mixed into it. doesn't have to have any proof, any signs. Just willing to take God at His Word. Just willing to trust Him. That He'll tend to it. That He'll see to our needs. Oh, we've got a big God tonight. We have a great God tonight. We have a God tonight that's able. We have a God tonight that's interested. The question is this, are we willing to put our faith in Him? If, if we, some people say, well, I just don't operate by faith, then you'll die and go to hell. Because faith is the only way to come unto the Savior. By grace you saved through faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. 
It, it, there, there is no works. There can be no mingling of works and grace, or it's no more uh, a totality of either of them. It's got to be completely grace, the Bible teaches. Completely grace. And so without faith, it's impossible to please Him. Without faith, we cannot come to God. But let me say that even after Calvary, we're going to have to live a life of faith. Day in, day out. You'll never come to a place until we're given a new body, a new life, until we're taken out of this world, until this corruptible shall put on incorruption, and this vile body shall be changed like unto His glorious body. Uh, then, you ever, <laughs> you ever wonder why there's faith, hope, and charity? And the greatest of these is charity. I know you think it says love, but the King James Bible says charity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know why it says the greatest of these is charity? There's coming a day when we won't need faith and hope anymore. Charity's always going to be around. Love's always going to be around. But faith and hope will be done away with. Because, you know, what does a man hope for that which he sees, the Bible teaches? There'll come a day when we won't. But until that day, we're always going to have to walk by faith. Maybe you're in this situation. Can, can I encourage you just to speak to the Lord tonight? Just to pray to Him and just say, Lord, I don't understand everything that you're doing, but I do understand that you love me, that you've got a plan for my life. I can't see it, Lord, but I don't have to see it to put my faith and confidence and trust in you because you've commanded me to walk by faith and not by sight.